Hello and welcome to the Silver King's War. I'm Michael Sievers, the writer, producer, and creator of this podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Today we begin the second play, Marauder Men, and we are in Act One, which is called The Flying Dude, Scene One, entitled Santa Ana, California. It begins with Michael, the narrator. This scene is inside a former Southern Methodist church where Glenn Martin is building his first plane. It's April 1909, and Martin has leased the church one block from the family's automobile dealership from a state senator, John Anderson, for $12 per month. The Martin family saga began in Iowa, where Arminta DeLong married Clarence Martin in November of 1882. Della and Glenn Martin, born respectively in 1883 and 1886, were born in Maxburg, Iowa. Clarence, a hardware salesman, moved the family to Liberal, Kansas in 1892 and then on to Salina in 1894 as he traveled to sell farm equipment. Glenn built kites in the family kitchen with his mother's approval and linens. As a high school sophomore, he worked in Dave Melvin's bicycle shop. Glenn was curious, mechanical, athletic, and built an electric motor from magazine instructions. Kansas Wesleyan provided two years of business study as the Wright brothers worked the dunes of Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. A train ride changed the Martin family world. This is Glenn L. Martin, known as the Flying Dude, the man who built the B-26. And he begins, Mother Minta, our family force, wanted warmer weather. She didn't like Kansas. And then we moved to Santa Ana, California in 1905 and bought an apricot ranch. We weren't agrarian, but knew that personal transportation offered a future. I was 20. I became a local Maxwell mechanic and secured a $700 bank loan, and with clearance, my dad opened a 1906 franchise to sell Ford and Maxwell automobiles. Three years later, I was building a second plane. Our family was making good money selling automobiles, but I really wanted to fly. I knew the Wright brothers' story and wrote them a letter asking permission to follow their design. Orville sent me the approval. Now, early in America's 20th century and burgeoning industrial age, we were literally poised to launch our first real product from a lima bean field owned by James Irvine, one of my first patrons and students. Early journalists described my plane this way. Quote, the wing spars, struts, and body longerons were of spruce with metal fittings at the joints. Ribs and stringers were mostly of bamboo. The wings and control surfaces were covered with fine mesh muslin, covered with varnish to fill the pores and make the fabric stronger. Additional strength was gained by judiciously using wire braces. Three wire-spoked Ford wheels arranged in tricycle fashion comprised the landing apparatus attached to the body with trusses of steel tubular construction. 
The engine was a reworked Ford motor, but it delivered only 15 horsepower. The propeller was another Charlie Day special, carved from laminated wood, end quote. My years to 1912 were filled with daring feats, cash contests, and family darkness. Mother Minta Martin had Della, my sister, who was 28 and unstable, committed to Patton State Hospital, which was known as the Insane Asylum in San Bernardino, California. The cornerstone was laid in 1890, and Della went to this place in 1911. This is the narrator, Michael. The Insane Asylum in October 1890 described in a Los Angeles Times story this way. San Bernardino is full of people who have turned out from all over Southern California to witness the laying of the cornerstone of the Insane Asylum. Three long trains carrying the military companies, Knights Templar, state officers, Masons, invited guests, and a large crowd left for the asylum grounds at 2.30 this afternoon. Thousands of people also went in carriages from the city and all parts of the country to witness the cornerstone ceremonies. It was estimated that the assemblage on the grounds would number from eight to 10,000 people. The grand officers then proceeded with the program, vocal music being furnished by a Masonic quartet from Los Angeles. Governor Waterman made a short address, designating this as the proudest day of his life. Michael continues with a piece from the New Yorker magazine dated November 28th of 1942, titled Hero for Business Reasons Part 1 page 28, by Alva Johnston, about Glenn L. Martin. And he begins, quote, Shortly before the plane had been freed by this caesarean operation, Martin had asked for the loan of 160 acres from the largest landowner around Santa Ana. This was James Irvine, who had an 80,000-acre tract, which had originally been granted to a settler by the Spanish government in the 18th century and which contained the largest lima bean patch in the world, covering 15,000 acres. Irvine visited the church and looked over the plane. Although not convinced that it would fly, he gave the inventor the free use of all the land he wanted. Martin invited Irvine to be his first passenger. The distance from the church to the Irvine Ranch was four miles. Fearing that a journey over that distance by daylight would frighten horses, the inventor moved the plane on a moonlight night, starting at midnight. The machine weighed 1,100 pounds, or about 1,230 with the pilot. Martin could estimate from the feel of the plane how much of the weight was being carried by the wings and how much by the wheels. He gradually gave the engine stronger and stronger doses of gas until the wings were carrying nearly all the burden. In August 1909, he made his first flight, covering a 100 feet at a two-foot altitude. As the lights go up on this scene, 
Glenn and his mother are working in the church. It's late at night. And Glenn begins, Mother, please hold the light closer. I can't see my connection point in the shadow. And Minta, known as the Duchess, replies, I will, but I can't quite do it unless you turn your shoulder. And Glenn, okay, let's stop for a minute. We need to rest. Your arms must be as tired as mine. The Duchess responds, yes, I'm tired, but you're doing well. And so close to bringing Roy Beale here from the garage. Glenn responds, I do need Roy, but father will be mad at me about the extra work. His mother responds, let me worry about Clarence. He doesn't believe in your work. I do. And the flying dude, mother, I don't worry about father. I'm very concerned about Della. She's quite erratic, talking alone in her room. And Minta responds, Glenn, Della has troubles. Her behavior is strange. I'm not clear about any of it. And Glenn Martin, Mother, how will Della live as an adult? She's 26. Will she be alone? As the lights go down on this scene, Michael reads another part of the New Yorker magazine story about Glenn Martin. This is the December 5th, 1942 issue. Again, Hero for Business Reasons, but Part 2, page 26 and 30 by Alva Johnston. Quote, By 1912, Glenn L. Martin was one of the leading exhibition flyers in America. In that year, he carried off prizes by the dozen and broke records by the score. For the first time in the history of the world is the standard beginning in a scrapbook of sensational newspaper accounts of his exploits in that year. These feverish archives tell how the 26-year-old flyer was the first to deliver mail by plane, the first to deliver newspapers by plane, first to drop a baseball into a catcher's mitt by plane, first to toss a bouquet into a May Queen's lap by plane, and the first to bomb a sham fort by plane. Martin produced the first of his bombers in July 1918, six months after he got the order, an unprecedented achievement. It was a twin-motor biplane carrying a bomb load of 1,500 pounds, the pioneer of the type which in 1921 sank a battleship, cruiser, a destroyer, and several submarines in General Billy Mitchell's experiment off the Virginia Capes, end quote. This is the end of scene one of Marauder Men, and you are listening to The Silver King's War. <laughs>